Everyone is talking about value versus growth investments, and it's leading to some big portfolio changes. But what is at the heart of this trade? Here's what matters. Live from our respective coronavirus social distancing outposts, I'm Lauren Goodwin. And I'm Robert Sarenbetz. And this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we, the strategists at New York Life Investments, will share insights from the multi-asset solutions team, what we think matters as we manage investment solutions. That includes Mainstay's diversified portfolio series, including the Income Builder Fund, as well as bespoke solutions for our partners. By sharing perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everybody. It's the week of February 22nd, 2021. And today, I challenge Robert to a debate. Ah, I genuinely couldn't think of a more worthy opponent. What are we debating? Well, as you know, we've been getting a ton of listener questions about the great reflation trade we've been talking so much about. Oh my gosh, so many questions. And this is the idea that as we return to normal, big thanks to vaccines, pent-up demand for services alongside supportive policy measures, that'll all stimulate the economy and lead to a big shift in where money is spent across the economy. Yes, and this shift will support the businesses, sectors, and industries that were most impacted by the pandemic. So even though we're not out of the woods yet with respect to the pandemic, we've already seen this market dynamic playing out so far in 2021. It's particularly true in small cap companies, which have seen very strong returns since positive vaccine news came out. They're up about 30%. Right. And other cyclical sectors have rallied off their lows as well. And investors have, as the survey said, significantly shifted their positioning to try to capture this trend. So moving from the quote unquote work from home stocks to the virus sensitive stocks, selling stuff that worked during the pandemic and buying things that were once down and out. All of these market moves have raised some interesting questions from investors. What are the factors that are driving the reflation trade? And how can you express that trade in a portfolio? Is it already done? You know, did the market already get ahead of it? Should you be investing in value still, or are growth stocks also maybe going to capture some of this trade? So to help answer this question, we need a place to start. So we reached out to Paul Christensen, our chief economist and a quantitative guru on our team, for a look at what factors have been working. An investor being was long companies that had strong margins, solid interest coverage, strong return assets, and that has shown... Uh, along with consecutive dividend increases, like indicators of value and and indicators of quality, uh, such an investor would have underperformed very significantly year to date. In fact, the most volatile, the most risky, the most indebted companies, many uh, highly indebted companies, have been among the top performers this year so far. And he goes on. What's really happening here is that struggling companies with weak margins are getting a boost from markets in anticipation of the coming reopening of the economy and in anticipation of the stimulus. So it almost feels like we're seeing this life belt being thrown into the water. And you got a question, is the strong swimmer going to benefit a lot from that? Maybe, but not as much as the weak swimmer. And, that, and that's why we're seeing weak margin companies having outperformance markets to have. 
in recent months. Yeah, that is very interesting analysis that came in from Paul. Lauren, thanks for setting that up. Personally, what we're hearing here is that there's some factors that's what's driving market returns, as a reminder. And personally, I couldn't imagine pursuing an investment strategy that focuses on companies with loads of debt, volatile price actions, and that is uniformly hated by investors. But that's what's working right now. And it, it is what it is. Well, at the very least, the market appears to be saying that companies whose performance benefited from the pandemic could fade a little bit as the economy improves. This turnaround or long shot part of the reflation rebound theme where companies who were the most out of the money or you know who had high debt or some of the characteristics that you were just describing, Robert, on the verge of a bust perhaps, those are the ones that are gonna benefit the most from the economy doing better. That is a great moment to transition to our Portfolio Pause, a segment of the podcast where we discuss an investment idea. And today, as I'm told here in the notes, we are apparently having a debate. Yes, we are having a debate, value versus growth. Robert, you can even pick your own side or we can flip a coin if you want. Heck no, I'm taking growth, you know me. Fine, then I'll take value. And as Paul said, it's been working so far. I think there's three key reasons for that. um, But really, it all comes down to the reflation trade. You turned our main idea into three things. Very typical of you. All right. Okay. Well, let's get into them then. The three reasons why I am choosing value. First is that generally speaking, value does better in environments where global growth is strengthening and the dollar is weakening this time around shouldn't be different. Number two, value stocks have historically offered a nice hedge to inflation as long as the Fed isn't raising interest rates, which we've mentioned we think is a pretty safe bet this year. So the rising spread in interest rates benefits banks while rising commodity prices benefits commodity producers, materials companies. These are all value sectors. So again, economic progress pushing these value sectors higher. Three, Tech stocks dominate the growth indices and the S&P 500 as a whole as well. And they look potentially susceptible to regulation or even just adjustments to overly optimistic growth expectations. So those three reasons together say to me that companies that trade at a discount relative to their peers are likely to see better earnings growth this year and possibly beyond those of other styles, allowing them to outperform or to catch up a little bit. Well, It's tough to argue against those three points. That was all very well said. Here's the thing, though. I'm going to take this back to a high level again. I'm not so sure that the value factor, value, is all it's cracked up to be these days. There are other factors that have historically performed very well over time, namely quality and momentum. And this go-around, this cyclical recovery, we've seen a huge rebound in cyclical stocks and small caps. And value, frankly, has kind of lagged. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's done well, but not nearly as well as some of the other factors, sizes, and styles. And that leads me to believe that there might be something structural here in the economy, something that's long-term going on. Since 2010, value companies' aggregate earnings have declined relative to growth. So growth company earnings grow faster than value company earnings. Sure, There are periods of cyclical rebounds where 
the earnings of value companies rise and rise quickly, but that gap has widened over time. And so I fear that companies that look cheap may just be a value trap. All right. So far, so good. All very fair points. Yes. And to your point, your third point on the tech bubble, it's a fair consideration, especially given some of the accounting gimmicks that we sometimes see and that investors should be aware of, particularly in the software industry. Also, a lot of these companies are unproven and haven't operated during multiple business cycles. So it it definitely is cause for concern. But if this was a bubble, which I'm not saying it is, we would need to see financial conditions tighten before there was an end, at least if we were thinking about historical analogs. And to your point, the Federal Reserve isn't planning on raising rates anytime soon. So where does this leave us? Well, I definitely won. And it's not your fault, Robert, but the Fed and the economy are on my side here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll have to pull the listeners about that because I'm not so sure. Well, do you think that we found some middle ground here, though? I mean, we've identified a few themes that seem to be working generally. One of them is that the reflation trade is real. And I think we can agree that when there's a cyclical improvement in earnings, companies that trade at a discount have more room to improve. Mm, that's a really good point. And I, I agree. I think that we have identified a few themes. The second theme I would add, in addition to the reflation trade, is that investors have to always watch out for lurking headwinds to any style or factor type investing or theme. And that can be things like value traps, like I discussed, but it can also be other headwinds that we've talked about before on this program, like regulation or investor exuberance. It's a really good point. And I think that comes down to a focus on diversification for investors always being important. Exposure to any of the sizes and styles and themes and regions, like you've described throughout the episode, can help participate in parts of a market rally while also limiting exposure to the potential downside that might occur if there are pullbacks in the rally, for example. Mm. Investors also probably want to make sure that they have exposure to active management or they're leveraging active management in their portfolio. And the reason I say that is because quality, which is a factor we have paid a lot of attention to previously on the program, the idea that you're trying to identify companies with strong balance sheets, good management teams, that they're growing their cash flows. These are contributors to companies that drive long-term performance and have historically. So um, an active manager can certainly help you find that in a portfolio. Coming up next, one of the most interesting things that happened in the markets last week was to see the 10-year Treasury yield rise above 1.3%. Now, historically, that's not very high. That's still very low interest rates, but it's certainly higher than it's been alongside some of the reflation trade we've, we've been describing. And the reason that's really interesting is because it starts to raise investor questions of, you know, will rising interest rates in this way impact equities. And as we've been discussing here, my perspective is that as long as rates are rising for a good reason, because the economy is improving, then earnings should be improving too. And it doesn't necessarily need to impact equities, but we will definitely be watching that closely this weekend. Frankly, probably all of 21. (laughs) You can say that again. Rates are rising because the bond market's starting to recognize that we can return to normal. And alongside that return to normal is a very likely additional fiscal stimulus, potentially up to $1.9 trillion. 
And so that's what I'm going to be watching this week as Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, tries to push forward on Joe Biden's additional fiscal stimulus plan. Well, that's it for today. We'll be back next week with more Market Matters. Let us know what matters to you. If you have a question or topic of interest, reach out to us on social media. That's right. You can send us your questions or highlight what matters to you by finding us on LinkedIn. You can also follow our views at the website, newyorklifeinvestments.com and clicking on the insights tab. Until then, I'm Robert Sarenbetz. And I'm Lauren Goodwin. See you next time. Our podcast is produced by Milo Benamonts, and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. I'll now read our disclosures from compliance. For more information about Mainstay Funds, call 1-800-624-6782 for a prospectus or summary prospectus. Investors are asked to consider the investment objectives, risks, and charges and expenses of the investment carefully before investing. The prospectus or summary prospectus contains this and other information about the investment company. Please read the prospectus or summary prospectus carefully before investing. There's no assurance that the investment objectives will be met. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which will vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment as of a specific date. It is subject to change and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding the funds or any issuer or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. There is no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as a primary basis for an investment decision. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. New York Life Investments is a service mark and name under which New York Life Investment Management LLC does business. New York Life Investments is an indirect subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company, New York, New York 10010, and provides investment advisory services and products. New York Life Distributors LLC is located at 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey, 07302. New York Life Distributors LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC.